This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Central Station. Professional development, or PD, has now become a mandatory part of just about any industry you can think of. And of course, education is no exception. My guest today is Miles Campbell, founder of Teacher Training Australia, or TTA, which is an organisation that collects insight and skill from Australia's best teachers and makes that available through courses both face-to-face and online. Over the years, this has given Miles unique insight into what makes really good PD, how to measure what makes it good, and how to keep improving it in a world that keeps demanding more flexibility and delivery options. In my discussion with Miles, one thing became very clear. Australia has many excellent teachers who are passionate about sharing their desire to help improve teaching and learning. You've been doing PD now for quite a long time. And, you know, if I think back to the good old days, PD for me was, oh, so-and-so is going on an in-service. And it wasn't one of those things that you just had to do. It was one of those things that kind of came along. How has that changed over the years? Look, I think, I mean, I I first got involved in offering PD for teachers in the year 2000. And in some ways, nothing's changed. Like at its best, you know, good PD is about sharing great practice, insights, programming, resources. And uh, when we, I guess the difference is when we first got started, a lot of PD was being done by ex-teachers or academics. Yeah. And uh, we just felt it would be great to be able to help more practicing teachers share their expertise and experience without actually having to leave teaching. And that kind of idea, that's where we started and that's sort of still where we are. But back to your question, I mean, there is a new language around um, teacher PD and the in-service still happens, but it's um, you know, it might now be called, you know, in-school consulting or something slightly different. <laughs> something <laughs> but, a little bit more McKinsey-like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically, nothing's changed. Um, you know, the goal is some people have become very good at some things. And so, yeah, the goal is trying to kind of find ways to help people who are doing something really well to um, share it with others or even just people who are further down the track who have developed some great stuff that really works, you know, leveraging that so everyone is not having to start from the beginning, which is a pretty daunting task as a teacher. Mm. What about the regulation, though? That's changed a bit. It has changed, but I think in many ways the regulation has been an attempt to um, see more of the good happening. So good PD hasn't changed, you know, it's still that very practical kind of, uh, you know, supportive um, teacher to teacher sort of content or inspiring insights. I guess the regulation is an attempt to try to um, try to increase the <laughs> the strike rate of that. So right. there was a, a lot of PD <laughs> I think there was a lot more PD in the early days, which was not all that helpful. Right. Um, And maybe there still is. But I I think the regulation is trying to um, see more of the good stuff happening. It definitely hasn't changed 
what, what is good PD. But it is there and it is a factor of life for teachers now. Is it, is it helping those who actually turn up to the PD events to stay engaged? Does it provide that little bit of an edge of pressure? Is there any of that in there? I don't think so. I, I think you could turn up and get your PD hours ticked off and, um, you know, everyone would go home happy. I think great PD is going to engage you because it's engaging and um, I guess, yeah, look, you can't regulate excellence. You know, you can try to support it and encourage it and share it. Um, But ultimately, yeah, it's going to come down to how people respond and, and if they love it, then they'll take note of, you know, where it came from and they'll look for more of it. Uh, but yeah, look, there is still a lot of average PD happening. Um, that's why we, from day one, we actually always thought, well, in terms of knowing what great PD is, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what the participants think. And so that's why from the beginning, we took the risky step of saying, let's gather feedback from every participant and let's just put that on the website, all of it, yeah. and um, and let let that be, well, A, the reason why the presenter is going to bring their A game because they're going to be on display publicly. Yeah, it's being crowd reviewed. Yeah, it's being crowd reviewed um, by the people who are there and by all of them so that you're getting, um, you know, if, if you get 14 brilliant reviews and one review that says the venue was too far from my house, you know, like the person reading that can make a judgment. Okay, yeah, sure. I might ignore that one. Yeah. Uh, it does sound like a great course. And that's worked That's worked really well. And, I mean, it came from my experience, actually, going to a community college course once way back and thinking, well, this sounds great on paper, but I want to know what someone who has been to it has thought of it. Yeah. And, um, and I couldn't do that. There was no way to find that. And I still think that's the case, actually, with a lot of organisations. You, are, you have no way of finding out what the last group thought of it. So that was sort of our version, one, one way in which we wanted to sort of build excellence loops into things so that um, better stuff happened. Let's go back to the actual people presenting the, the PD. You were talking about making a shift or offering, perhaps not making a shift, but offering the chance for those who are practising to provide PD without having to step out of the classroom. What's the mix of that these days? As in, who's, how many people are still in the classroom versus those who are sort of outside in research or some form of consulting role? Um, well, in terms of the courses that we run, um, we would probably be three quarters, um, you know, the, the practicing sort of teacher and a quarter the um, education consultant. And what tends to happen is that I mean, practicing teachers are going to bring that very practical, resource-based kind of niche course that is just going to be gold for a fairly small audience who, you know, is in their zone. And also, you don't need to be an amazing presenter when you're talking to your own people, like a very niche audience of, let's say, year 11 geography teachers. Um, You know each other's worlds and... And if you've got some great resources and if you've got answers to all their questions about, um, you know, what do you do when this happens and they can say, well, actually that happened last week and here's what I did, 
that's perfect. You don't need to be a charismatic presenter. But then we have the others who are more in the zone of, um, you know, behavior and uh, mindset and, you know, those those kind of areas that every teacher will be wanting to get across. And that seems to um, – well, I think it, it, it benefits from a great presenter and also the audience is much bigger, so it, it sort of works um, for presenters to do that and they tend to be the full-time um, consultants. You were talking about uh, – or we were, we were talking about the idea of um, crowd review. How do the presenters themselves feel about their own performance when they kind of get a little bit of momentum in their courses? Uh, I would imagine that this could be quite a – an empowering and engaging and exciting thing for presenters when they feel like they've really connected with people. Do you get feedback from them about that sort of thing too? Yeah. And they, I mean, I think they really care, you know. So we, we have a lot of presenters, you know, if, if they've got 20 people in the room and they get 19 excellence and one good, I'll be disappointed because <laughs> <laughs> they're at that level where, you know, they're like, damn, I, I, I know who that was. <laughs> you know, next time I'm going to, you know, tweak it to, so I can win them over. Um, I just think it, it's very motivating. And I think in actual fact it's quite possible that our feedback system does more to change the presenters practice because they're the ones reading the feedback than to change the selection choices made by future participants. But either way, it's been a very powerful way to um, kind of promote excellence. And it also, it helps the conversation. So when we are working with a presenter and it very rarely happens, but if the presenter is getting some negative feedback, you know, it's not me versus them. It's the data Mm. versus, you know, so so we look at that and we talk about, well, you know, um, that's going to be public. So either this course needs to deal with that so that the next round um, – um, one way, we always let the most recent feedback push out the older feedback. Right, okay. And so that, that means that a participant is learning about the most recent version of the course. So it allows for improvement. So over time – but it doesn't allow you to rest on your laurels. It no. doesn't matter that it was awesome a year ago. It matters how did it go the last time it ran. And it's just worked really well. It's just helped us to – I think some presenters sort of opt out. You know, they kind of self-select once they hear how we do it. You know, they might decide that it's not for them, um, which is fine uh, because I just feel like we owe it to people. You know, it's – if we're going to ask people to come to a course, then we owe it to them to do everything we can to make that the most valuable course possible. I want to talk a little bit about the mode of delivery and the feedback relates to this as well because I'm wondering whether there's a difference in feedback between online and face-to-face courses. But um, mm-hmm. if I can just come back to the, the, the good old days, I remember when you could uh, say, hey, look, I'm going on an in-service, which is really uh, I'm having – the day out <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. most likely someone's going to provide me with lunch. Um, what sort of mode of delivery is, is, is preferable these days? Are we still seeing those old days? Uh, yeah, we get both. However, um, it's getting harder for teachers to get out of school. Um, and I think that's across the country. So, and that's for two reasons. One large reason, I think, 
slightly sadly in a way, but the vast majority of teacher PD budgets has actually gone on casual teachers. Oh, wow. Because, you know, if you're going to a $300 course, you've then got to fund a $500 casual teacher to allow you out for the day. So that $300 course just became an $800 course. And to my knowledge, that money is coming from the PD budget, which, um, which you begin to understand why teachers are not allowed out for that many days to go on the course. <laughs> yeah. The other factor is the disruption, of course. So, yeah. you know, you have students without their regular teacher that day and, and the, distru- the disrupt- disruption that that causes. Uh, so that's kind of a fact of life. So if a teacher wants to go on something and, and pesters a little and it's a great course, then they will be able to generally and they do love it. Like teachers do love a great day out at a course and I do think that it's there's something about it to be able to leave school behind, all the dramas, you know, be a nice air-conditioned room with a nice lunch with a bunch of your peers and just focus on on learning like it, it is a great thing to be able to do, but it's becoming, um, yeah, a rare luxury, I think, for teachers. Mm. And so online is sort of coming to fill that gap, plus a lot more in school or, you know, twilight after school, that kind of thing. And, and uh, yeah, we do all of those. Coming up, Miles talks about how teachers are managing with daily responsibilities and the demands of PD in the online space. More on that in a moment. And to hear more about one of the great PD presenters that Miles has been talking about, listen to my discussion with maths teacher Steve Howard. Even though the maths sounds really complex, Steve makes it sound like anyone could like it. And uh, let's say topic mathematical induction, it doesn't matter because some of your readers will listeners won't uh, know about it but of course well everyone knows exactly what you're talking about let me, let, let me just be clear on that oh we all know what you mean of course yeah, induction. yeah i get that <laughs> and and the important thing is delving through and finding every and to hear that interview make sure you subscribe to central station on your favorite podcast app or visit our website central.com.au slash podcast Yeah, that's uh, that's a trend I noticed when I was in the classroom a few years ago. That uh, you'd, you'd have an afternoon blocked out, and then and then the school would do something like bring in some uh, uh, some takeaway food, which I always thought was a, a really kind of nice way to spend an afternoon and quite time efficient. And as you say, that that solves all of those continuity problems. So, in the online space, do the do the teachers then find that they have pressure? in their personal lives because if they can't go out for the day and they've still got to do their teaching during the day, then they've got to do this online thing. Well, when am I going to do that out of hours Mm -hmm. or do they kind of squeeze it in? What sort of feedback are you getting on that? Yeah. So different schools do different things. Some will just, you know, layer it on and find your own time. Some (laughs) schools, some schools will say, okay, we're going to, um, like on this particular student three day, for instance, we're going to, uh, uh, block out some time where you can do some online PD and that could either be something we're all doing together or it could be pick your own thing and, and but you've got that time allocation to do it or teachers might be given a little bit of time out during their week when they're allowed to do that. I mean, I do think that it's unreasonable to expect 
that it just goes on top of everything else. And if it's not given time, then it's probably not going to be as impactful mm. as if um, the school is actually supporting the teacher to, you know, find the time and space to do it. Um, yeah. You don't want to be there at 11 o'clock at night. No. <laughs> You know, clicking through boxes to get it done, like that's not going to be peak no. <laughs> behaviour change time. No. I've got an article uh, on my computer screen here uh, from the Conversation website, and it's titled, Schools are asking students to bring digital devices to class, but are they actually being used? And it's written by an academic over at Edith Cowan University. Uh, one question I have to ask is, given the fact that there are so many computers in schools these days, has PD massively shifted in that direction? Uh, we don't see that. I mean, a lot of the PD that um, that we're seeing be popular is in response to curriculum change, um, anything oh, okay. around, you know, senior school. And there has been a lot of curriculum change over the last few years. Um, courses in um, – tech-related topics, you know, gamification and, um, you know, use of iPads in the classroom and so forth. Yeah. It is happening, but I, I think it's very early days um, and I'm not, yeah, it's not clear really. I think schools are wrestling with it. They're not, you know, even in my own kids' scenario, often I think in the early days kids would bring devices but the teachers still hadn't quite worked out what they wanted them to do with those devices. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a tricky time. Everyone's, um, you know, and then if they're there, how do you keep them productively there as kids are, you know, <laughs> finding all sorts of ways to be, uh, you know, doing something other than what the teacher thinks they're doing on their device. So I guess you could call curriculum change some kind of a trend. I was uh, chatting to another guest uh just recently about the subject of well-being and uh, there are or there have been some trends in in the area of well-being do you see uh, do you see any other trends going through PD like that yeah so definitely I mean that's any teacher who's been in the game a long time will be aware that yeah certain things become very popular um, and then they fade and then the next thing comes along I guess mindsets is has been very big for a few years now and I think there's a lot of usefulness in that um agile learning coding came along and a, another one which I think a lot of people are scrambling to work out quite how to address um gamification as I mentioned earlier it's getting a little bit of traction so probably um yeah probably a combination of recent you know I guess shifts in psychological uh, insights about human behavior combined and with technology and changes in technology and, and the potential for um, technology to be used to individualize things like that in the classroom. Uh, yeah, which makes it <laughs> harder and easier to be a teacher, I think. At the same time. Well, and again, that, that comes back to, uh, I guess, another trend which is, has uh, surfaced recently is the um, student-centred learning. Uh, mm. And I wanted to ask you about that with respect to teachers. Uh, so there's a, you, you often hear uh, the phrase as well, uh, 
learning how to learn or self-directed learning and and you know that these are common phrases as well do the teachers report that they're feeling a bit of pressure about that uh for themselves in, in other words is, is pd in that sense meant to be an implied self-directed learning for teachers and 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 is it actually a good idea yeah look i, I mean i think supporting teachers is a very good idea i don't think in my opinion the teachers are doing the most important job in our society you know the people that we are trusting our kids with to um, spend you know their their big chunk of their waking hours it's a massively massively important job mm. and i think in the past we have neglected teacher well-being and teacher confidence you know we've had a bit of a sink or swim attitude to teachers, sort of flung them in and, you know, sort of let them fend for themselves. For themselves. Yeah, yeah. So I think to be looking after the um, person who is looking after your children is a very smart idea, Yeah. Um, both in terms of their well-being as well as in terms of their um, expertise in both the craft of teaching and in their content and so forth and practice. So it's it's a real no-brainer when it comes to investment. Investing in teachers is a very valuable thing. I think one of the um, tricky things at the moment is that we have sort of, un- in the guise of um, investing in teachers, we've sometimes put a very heavier sort of approach to um to measuring teacher performance and that can at times bring a, a huge workload to teachers um, which you know just adds to the pressure and the stress and yeah. undermines the other things that we're yeah. trying to support so what do you reckon the future looks like where do we go from here it's a big question i know but you have a stab at it <laughs> okay i mean the future is is um so many things going on at the moment that could have an impact on the future i think i mean teaching actually like many other professions um at the heart of it well one is i think the goal is to create a healthy environment i I sort of see schools as communities for young people and we want those communities to be healthy, thriving places. Mm. You know, I think of Brad Fuller, who you mentioned, who you had on your podcast, the kind of classroom that he's trying to create where students are just passionately diving into what's going on because he's managing to create a, um, an engaging um, uh, environment that you just want to do what's on offer. Yeah, that's there's right. No real concern with the, um, you know, behaviour because there's no behaviour problem when everyone wants to do what you want them to do. So I, I think so creating a great environment, and then I think the other side of it for supporting teachers and students, and it again kind of aligns, is just that issue around uh, behaviour change. So yeah. sorry, that was the point I was kind of making earlier. That so many of us are in the game of behavior change and i think that uh daniel kahneman the behavioral economist i heard recently talking on this topic and he was saying if you indulge me for a minute to to, i thought it was really interesting he's saying there's basically two 
main ways to change behavior. Mm-hmm. One, one is the whole, the one that we're very familiar with, which is all about carrots and sticks and rewards and punishments. So that's the place where you tell people to change, you reward them if they do change, you punish them if they don't change. Yes. Um, and that's the classic method of bringing behavior change. And he said, yeah, it's not as effective as the other, as the other way. And the other way is it, it's simple, but it's very powerful, is just making, making the behavior you want to be the easy behavior. So just making it easy for people to choose um, uh, to choose to change. Mm. So whether that's a teacher, just providing them with supports where choosing the right thing becomes really easy. And yeah. same for the student. It's a bit like how iTunes disrupted the music piracy industry where they managed to shift people from stealing music to paying for music simply by just making it a really simple process and a really easy thing to do. And I, I feel like there's a lot to be learned there in, in the way we support teachers and students rather than loading them up with expectation or desperately trying to force behavior change, doing more work on the environment to make it easier for them to choose. I don't know if that comes across, but I feel like there's something there. Yeah, it sounds like uh, I guess that one of the underlying messages is to provide an environment that's just compelling. It's you know compelling for everyone, and and uh, perhaps some self reflection on on the part of the uh, the schools or the administrators or the teachers or wh- whoever's involved to say, look, um, am I actually providing or presenting an environment? that I'd like to be in <laughs> because mm. if you're, if you're mm. in an environment that you don't want to be in, then it's very unlikely yeah. that you're going to be able to convince other people to like being in that environment. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, I think and, that's what Brad's doing over there at uh, yeah. Northern Beaches Christian school. He's just created his ideal music environment and then made the assumption that, well, everyone who comes here is a musician. So yep. rather than me tell you about music, why don't you come here and become what you are? which is a musician. <laughs> I think yeah, it's very clever. Yeah. I think so. And I think it will be a really interesting metric and a valuable metric, I think, to know, okay, at this school, how much or how, how much do how many students want to go to school today? Like, is it the kind of place that they want to go to? And then ask that of the teachers as well. How much do you yeah. want to go to school today? <laughs> like, if they both want to be there, then that's a really good sign yeah. that there's good stuff happening at that school. Well, it's a good if start. Neither of, if neither of them want to be there, then that's a bit of a concern. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like the future could be a really interesting place if we think about it enough. Miles, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. No worries. Thanks so much, Colin. You've been listening to Central Station. If you'd like to get in touch with Miles or find out about PD courses offered by TTA, you can visit the website, tta.edu.au, or simply send him an email, miles at tta.edu.au. And for more information about our other guests and episodes, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast app or visit the website, central.com.au slash podcast. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now. Bye for now.